1: Well, thanks for joining us for Mortification of Spin Bully Pulpit. Uh, The three of us are with you, of course. I'm with Carl Truman and Amy Bird. And this week, the week of the recording of this particular episode, we are looking back at the 10th anniversary of Colin Hansen's rather famous article that ran in Christianity Today on September 22nd, 2006, the 10th anniversary of the young, restless, and uh, reformed, not 10th anniversary of the movement but the 10th anniversary of that article that really uh, named it uh, young restless and reformed and caught a lot of attention not just in christian media but in secular secular media as well uh... suddenly uh, a younger generation of people were beginning to talk about john calvin and jonathan edwards and martin luther and beginning to tout doctrines of grace and uh... this was going on among young southern baptists of all people uh, who were beginning to, uh, to invoke uh, theological heroes from the Puritan era and from the era of the uh, Reformation. Names like John Piper had become very big. And uh, so uh, Hansen, in that article, uh, traces a little bit of the development of this new movement at that time, what he called the Young, Restless, and Reformed. And um, we just want to reflect a little bit on what we appreciate about that movement, and maybe some observations about what might be considered weaknesses um, in that movement. So, Carl and Amy, uh, as we think about the article, what were some of, uh, what were some of your first observations um, I, in Hanson's article?
2: Uh, I think, first of all, it's important to remember the context. Uh, mm-hmm. The context, of course, of you know, a decade ago was very much a time when the emergent or the emerging church, however you wish to refer to it, uh, was uh, all the rage. And I think the young Restless and reform movement offered in in some ways a real breath of fresh air mm-hmm. over against that. There was some strength to the emergent church movement. I think its initial critique of, of mega churchism mm-hmm. and its its desire to see Christianity emphasized community and hospitality. Those were important elements that the emergent church brought to the attention of the wider Christian world. But it had this strong anti-doctrinal, anti-dogmatic emphasis, which simply isn't ultimately consistent with historic Christianity. And it was really against the background of that that I first came across the young, restless, and reformed idea. And for me, it was a real breath of fresh air at the time that here we had people who realized that Christianity was a doctrinal religion, that it made truth claims, it made transcendent truth claims, and they were excited about it. And that was a, that was a very good thing. And credit where credit's due, I think the YRR helped put that kind of thinking back on the agenda for a lot of Christians in this right. country. And
3: I think along with that credit, too, as a layperson who was very bothered by the emergent movement, um, was finding that I wasn't alone and that there were a lot of other voices out there who were providing Mm -hmm. more resources to use to be able to engage with emergent church issues.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, we're we're talking about this. Article ten years old now, two thousand and six. But really, you know, it goes back ten years before that, where you really begin to see the rumblings of what Carl and Amy are talking about. Uh, it was Brian McLaren in in the mid nineteen nineties that began to write uh, his book, you know, a new kind of Christian. That was around nineteen ninety six or so. So around ten years before Hansen's article. And and again, as as you say it was helpful because there was finally a critique of the mega church movement and the consumerism, but we found out very early on with the emergent movement that it was also anti-doctrinal. And so, you know, I, I shared the, uh, the enthusiasm of seeing, um, a group of young, uh, guys who were, who were very enthusiastic about the truth, very enthusiastic about doctrine. and, and, Hansen mentions in his article, he mentions uh, Louis Giglio, John Piper, and and the Passion Conferences, which kicked off at that time, uh, 1995, 96, 97, uh, in Austin, Texas. And I went to the first two as a youth pastor with a group of my high school seniors. And for the first time in 1996, I really heard the glory of God being preached about and proclaimed as a big deal. Now I'd heard the glory of God mentioned, but I'd never heard sermons preached about the glory of God and the, and the importance of that. So in that sense, uh, this new movement of an embrace of the doctrines of grace and, and a look back at the Reformation was incredibly important to my own uh, doctrinal development. I walked away from those two years in a row in Austin, Texas, those two conferences, having to really take a look at my theology and to question things. Um, And so it served me very well in that sense.
2: Yeah, that's interesting, Todd, because, you know, and again, this is not intended as a criticism of the YRR so much as a a, a general observation. It didn't bring to my attention stuff of which I was not already aware. Mm -hmm. You know, I appreciated it for, for making the kind of books that I was reading right. more readily available to a lot of people. But my own, you know, I was converted as a late teenager. I, w- I, w- I was weaned as a Christian on J.I. Packer, John Owen, the Puritans, Martin Lloyd-Jones. Uh, there's a sense in which what the YRR did was, was take all the stuff that many of us had already been blessed with and, right. and, and popularized it. And, you know, when I hear that, you know, it was the mid-90s was the first time you heard the glory mm-hmm. of God being preached, that, that's a real indictment on... Mm-hmm. Yes. On on the sort of background that you came from, not a criticism of you, obviously. But no, no, no. Wow, I agree. It reminds agree. us of how impoverished yes. right. so much church life is. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, J.I. Packer was basic to my Christian yep. discipleship. And I wish that he had been for me as well.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a real awakening for a lot of people, the mm-hmm. doctrines of grace.
1: Yep. And so in that sense, you know, I'm very thankful uh, for this a resurgence of the doctrines of grace that really began to to kick off in the mid-90s. Because, again, that was not a part of my upbringing. I'd never heard—I was raised in a conservative, mega Southern Baptist church. I heard the gospel, but I, I never heard this sort of God-centered uh, preaching before. That was new for me, and it was new for a lot of us. You know, when we heard at, I think it was 1996 at the Passion Conference in Austin, Texas, when we heard uh, an almost hour-long sermon from John Piper about God's motivation in the cross, that his highest motivation was the vindication of his righteousness. I mean, straight out of Romans chapter 3. Well, I had never heard that before. And so those things were revolutionary for me and for so many of my fellow Southern Baptist youth pastors.
2: I'm tempted to say, you mean you'd never read Paul's letter to the Romans? <laughs> the time, well, you know? again... They not have that in the Southern Baptist Bible? Again, <laughs> part of the problem was I did not
1: have a theolog I, I, I was not given a grid to really think about those things in, in, in a clear way. I, I hadn't heard it taught like that or preached like that, uh, meaning the obvious meaning of the text. I mean, I look back on it. It really was. It was an impoverishment. So... We, you know, we, we, we say all of that to say, thank God that there was a, a resurgence, a rediscovery of the doctrines of grace, and we're very grateful uh, for that. But one of the things that, that comes out in uh, Hansen's article from 2006 is, is I went through and I made a list of the names that he mentions as the primary movers in this, and there's only one Presbyterian among the people that he lists. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest are Baptists. Um, uh, the rest are are congregationalists, you know, um, and and it, and so it kind of begs the question: Is this a reformed movement, or, or a doctrines of grace movement?
2: Yeah. I th- right. and, and how would how would how would we explain yeah. kind of the difference there? Well, people get very het up. Some people get very het up about the use of the word reformed. Yeah. I'd, I'd make a. Uh, not an arbitrary, but I'd make a, a distinction between capital R reformed and small R reformed. I think, a, I, I think the way reformed was used in the young, restless, and Reform movement really refers to a kind of anti-Pelagian, mm-hmm. Calvinistic view of the doctrines of grace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's not reformed in terms of the embrace of the confessional consensus of the Reformation nor is it reformed in terms of its understanding of church life and the importance of catechesis, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, covenant children, that kind of thing. So I think as long as we make that separation and understand that the word reformed is being used, if not equivocally, then certainly, it, it, yes, in a way that doesn't comport with how, say, we'd use the word reformed when I was at a presbytery meeting in the OPC, I, I think that helps us think more clearly about this movement. Mm-hmm. Well,
3: I think that's something that was so um, surreal for me to go back and read this article again now. I don't remember the first time that I had read it, um, how close it was to its publication, 10 years, I can't recall. But going back and reading it now, you know, as its 10-year anniversary, I was kind of shocked by how I even read a line about boasting that they had read Calvin – himself, you know, so the whole article is really about the doctrines of grace and Calvinism there, Um, and so that they're kind of saying that, okay, see, we're not celebrity worshipers. I don't even read Calvin, Mm -hmm. but yet um, it seems so um, celebrity-oriented with all the names that they were focusing on, and so they're not reading original sources, they're reading Calvinism through second-hand sources.
1: Right. Right, through yeah. Wayne Grudem. And Wayne Grudem's systematic theology is mentioned yeah. there very prominently. in right. The problem is, so ironic. Is, while, is while Wayne Grudem does, uh, I think, a good job with the doctrines of grace, that systematic theology is far from reformed. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very far from reformed. Well, it's even you,
3: strange to me to see that uh, jo- uh, Jonathan Edwards is my homeboy t- t-shirt, Mm-hmm. As the picture for it, because um, you know it's wonderful, to, and that's where I first discovered ca- the doctrines of grace. Sure. Really, is through reading Jonathan Edwards. But even he isn't a, a first-hand so- source.
2: No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the uh, uh, again, it goes back to an emphasis on the doctrines of grace without a full appreciation of the method that's been historically developed for Reformed theology, which involves a a first-hand and consistent dialogue with the past. I mean, Mm Reformed theology is a very traditional theology in the the true sense of the word. It's rooted in tradition. It draws on traditional sources. It dialogues with the Catholic and then more narrowly the Reformed tradition of the church. And I think what what a, a bare doctrines of grace understanding of Reformed can tend towards is a failure to engage with, with that yeah. history. And as Amy said, um, you know, a, a somewhat personality-driven movement as well. I've made this observation many, many times that the same names mm-hmm. populate the, the stages at the same conferences year after year. Now, that's, let me say, that's not a criticism, That is an observation, that is an empirically verifiable observation, which indicates that the movement is unusually dependent upon a relatively small handful of people, present day people, in a way that I think uh, Reformed theology typically has a a, a broader methodological perspective, both about the present Mm -hmm. and about the past. Right,
1: And... as i as i as i thought about that very that very point one of the things that came to me was i i think and i'm speculating at this point but i don't think without good cause that the personality driven nature of the young restless and reform movement which now 10 years after that article we see that some have crashed and burned some of the most prominent leaders in the yrr movement have crashed and burned one of the things i appreciate about a more fully reformed movement, where we are reforming the church's worship, where we are reforming the church's polity and governance, is that it tends to help guard against a personality movement because there's nothing cool about being reformed. You can be cool with the doctrines of grace, and guys like Mark Driscoll showed us that. But you cannot be cool if you reform your worship, reform your policy, make yourself just one man at a round table with one vote instead of a guy who sits on top of the pyramid. A, a, a deeply reformed movement reforms all of those things. Yeah. And it tends to work <clears throat> against a person's self-assertion. And that's the, the irony that, that I
3: see in this whole movement is that um, as we were talking about the benefits of it, um, engaging with the emergent church, well, the emergent church criticisms of fundamentalism, I think we could apply some of those same criticisms now, 10 years later.
1: Yeah, because it's become so, because it became
2: so personality driven. And, and, And in some cases, even mega church driven, we found out. And that brings me to, you know, to the, the acid test of any Christian movement. And that is, if a Christian movement is, is really doing its job well, it will strengthen the local church. Mm. It will strengthen the yes. church. It won't strengthen self-perpetuating conferences. Hey, we're, we're speaking here for the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. It won't strengthen right. the Alliance of Confessing right. Evangelicals. <laughs> right. what, what it will do is it will promote stronger, healthier local church, and denominational life. Mm-hmm. And the jury is probably still out. To be fair, the jury's probably still out on that. It, has this movement strengthened local churches? Probably in many cases, yes. Has it led to some disasters in the local church? Well, you know, Mark Driscoll is one obvious name mm-hmm. that, that comes, you know, for all of that, that famous round table he did with, I think it was James MacDonald, Mark Driscoll, and Mark Dever. And they were hammering Mark Dever, uh, mm-hmm. about you know how their multi-site model, etc., yep. etc., meant they were less important to strengthen their model of the church right. over against Mark's. You know, Mark Driscoll's church closed within weeks of him yeah. being ousted. You mm-hmm. know I cannot see Capitol Hill Baptist Church closing right. if Mark Devers hit by a bus tomorrow. Right. Mark, right. if you're listening, I pray that you're not hit by a bus tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but Capitol Hill but, will go on. Yeah, because Capitol Hill has been immensely strengthened, I think, yes. by a lot of the stuff that's been developed over the last 10, 15, 20 years right. in a way that some of these churches haven't. Right. And, and that, to me, will be the ultimate test of this movement. Will it have helped perpetuate strong church life for the next generation? Yeah. And the jury's out on that. We, we, have, we have to wait and see on that mm-hmm. at this particular moment in time. And probably it'll be a mixed verdict. In some cases, yes. In some cases, no. Well, we hope that uh, our trip down memory lane has uh, provoked some heartwarming nostalgia for you. We want to thank you for joining us. Uh, Please do visit our website, mortificationofspin.org. Remember, we are a donor-supported program, so if you feel uh, led to make a donation, please feel free to do so. Uh, Check the website for for more discussion on this topic, and we look forward to being with you next time.
3: I hear every mother say Mother needs something today to
0: calm down Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Do housewife and theologian really go in the same phrase? If you don't know the answer to that one by now, you need to go listen to our podcast archives at mortificationofspin.org. And while you're there, check out the articles on the blog by Our Housewife Theologian. Subscribe to her blog, and if you appreciate mortification of spin, please make a donation. And come back next week for this conversation.
2: Well, on today's podcast, we're very privileged to have a returning guest, uh, Simonetta Carr. Simonetta is well known as a writer of superb children's books.
0: I am
3: very glad to be back. One thing I really like about this book, as a children's book, and I want parents to be aware of this, is I really look at it as an interactive history book on Michelangelo. I mean, you just have so many great little sections in there. One that I really appreciated was just a little subsection on how to pronounce Italian. (laughs) But then it's full of these great, creative, fun activities, such as uh, making homemade paint and making ice sculptures using balloons and and learning how to crosshatch i thought that was excellent and um soap carving and then even a, a little lesson on how to make a little cart like they would have made to move the statue of david so i just thought that that was such a helpful way to um introduce uh this history to children
0: that interview is next time join us then
2: Yeah. yeah, I love that Luther term, Schwammer. <laughs> Swarms. These people are Schwammer.
1: <laughs> that sounds like some kind of a Mediterranean meat product.
3: It does. Schwarmer.
2: Yeah. Maybe I could use that term and say, because I
3: wouldn't yeah. possibly
2: say this about anyone, but Luther would have said they were Schwammer."
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> we don't approve of that language, but that's what <laughs> I'm going to start using that in regular conversation. <laughs> Same word you use for a swarm of
0: bees, you know, buzzing around your head. Mm-hmm. Nice.